Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are diving into our first book of this year, <laughs> probably our only book of this year, Sense and Sensibility, <laughs> chapters one through nine. Woo! Yeah, we have um, grand intentions to do two this year, but we'll see if that actually happens. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you will definitely, at the very least, be getting a full Sense and Sensibility breakdown. <laughs> Yes. Um, and I have to say, I don't know if it's the like newness of the book because it's like, oh, I've never read this before, but I think it so far is my favorite. <laughs> is that crazy to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like this book too because I find it so funny. Yes. And it's so, it's funny because I've been watching so much RuPaul's Drag Race. So I feel like I've been like, mm-hmm saturated in drag culture for the past couple of months right (laughs) and it really goes well with this book because i feel like jane austen slash eleanor perhaps is low level reading every single person at all times oh a (laughs) hundred percent and even like i feel like there are some little like quips from like the narrator and about how like you know jane i'm jane eleanor slash jane is <laughs> the most sensible one and how just like little way she describes the other characters i'm like i feel like this is very much the same person yeah yeah <laughs> oh my gosh i just had so many thoughts about this book that i've never had before this time reading through it normally i oh. listen to this book I mean, I listen to most Jane Austen. I don't usually like sit down with the book in front of me. Uh And obviously I don't sit down and recap it usually. So when I was (laughs) reading it the first time, I found myself not laughing at it as much and, you know, getting more invested in like the character studies of everybody. Uh But then when I went back and listened to it, just, you know, as a refresher before we were recording, I was again cackling out loud. So I don't know why. The audiobook just makes me laugh more, but I've been listening to the Rosamund Pike version. Oh, wow. I didn't know she read it. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. Oh my gosh. I might have to do a little audiobook after this because I'm already feeling like this is one that I'm like, I can't wait to reread this. (laughs) I feel like I'm completely (laughs) losing my mind because I'm like, this is my favorite book ever and I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you're losing your mind. I think you're just experiencing Jane Austen and what she can do for you. <laughs> yeah, there's just some something different about this one compared to like Persuasion and Northanger or Abbey where there's just like something, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say like elevated, but I think I mentioned to you before we recorded that it, it just has like star power. <laughs> it just has star quality to it. <laughs> that is just makes it so much more than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I mean, Northanger Abbey, she wrote maybe even before she wrote this one but she went back after and revised it and you know looked at it from a more older point of view and this one just feels like it was written by an 18 year old you know or like a super young person (laughs) has a very young person's mentality to it and I remember when we watched the movie watching the commentary and Emma Thompson talking about how like the language is a little bit more difficult than Mm -hmm. in some of her other books which i definitely found to be true like just like the sentence structure was a little more roundabout (laughs) okay Mm -hmm. but you know it's subtle but i I did notice it this time so it just feels like a little bit earlier than the rest of her work i don't know it just Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like 
her first work, which it is <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, cause I remember we talked about the language about it and when we did the, um, the movie and I went into this kind of expecting to have that kind of reaction, but I feel like it just, and I don't know if it's maybe just the, the style of it. I just agrees with me more when I'm reading it, but it just feels very like flowy to me. Like I can just really like hear the characters speaking it very simply. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's had a very clearly <laughs> a profound effect on me. Well, I'm so excited to get into it. Me too. Should we go ahead and get into the notes then? Sure. Um, for notes, there is an introduction to this annotated version, and it does have like stuff about the book and about Jane. So I figured I would pull from that. But okay. since we don't have like, you know, it's not like the same thing with movies where we have like behind the scenes and stuff like that. I figured notes could be a little bit shorter. Is that all right with you? Oh, definitely. Because these recaps are, I mean, we broke it into eight sections, but really it, it should have been broken into like 10 sections because <laughs> <laughs> they're long. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have a lot of things to say in the recaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect then. Okay, so notes for this section. I'm pulling them from the introduction section of my annotated book. And it kind of gives like a little bit of an introductory to the book and Jane Austen at this time. And so this was Jane Austen's first published novel in an its first appearance was in 1811 when she was 35 and it marked the formal beginning of her literary career. And so it kind of gives a brief little like, have we gone into like specifics about Jane Austen before? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. we definitely have talked about, especially during Persuasion and Northanger Abbey, about kind of the last years of her life. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, she died when she was like, what, 42? So if she yeah. only had this book published when she was 35, that's not very long to have like a published literary career in which, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think I was reading that when this was first published, it was like, instead of like listing her name, it was like by a lady. And so okay. <laughs> she, she didn't have that. It never said her name until she was dead. Like it was only yep. post posthumously. Yes. And so the earlier version of this was called Eleanor and Marianne. Um, and it was written in the form of letters, mm -hmm. which was a popular literary device of that time. And the author of this one speculates that it was first written in 1795 when she was 19. And, and then she kind of left that and went on to First Impressions, which would later become Pride and Prejudice. So she kind of took a two-year break. And then about 1797, she returned to Eleanor and Marianne and kind of did like a whole like rebrand of it to Sense and Sensibility and changed a lot of it. I think that's kind of all I had for this. I wonder how biographical it is. Like, was she thinking of her and her sister when she wrote it? Was she mm -hmm. thinking like, I'm Marianne or I'm Eleanor and Cassandra is whoever? I'm just right. curious. I, considering she started it when she was so young, I feel like a lot of, especially teenagers have this like proclivity to write about themselves a lot of the time. <laughs> well, I know she liked to uh, write, like, sh you know, we were talking about how she supposedly never 
wrote men alone or with another man because she never experienced that so feels right. like she wrote a lot not not necessarily biographically but like from experience so i'm just wondering if she yeah. was the sense and her sister was sensibility or if it was vice versa because i could see that also being true mm-hmm. <laughs> like if she was the marianne <laughs> yeah <laughs> i could totally i feel like based on what i know i kind of get more eleanor vibes from her um just because, you know, it's about Eleanor and Marianne, but I feel like we're getting a lot more personal with Eleanor. And it just feels like there's some personableness of Eleanor that seems like Jane really knows this aspect about her. And just the fact that she started, really started this when she was in her teens. Like, I feel like that's such a time where everything is kind of like, very self-centered and so I could totally see her writing and being like well I'm just gonna pour myself into this character since it's kind of like really one of her first completed stuff I could also see her though being more of a Marianne and being like well Mm -hmm. I look up to my sister who's more of the Eleanor and so I'm writing as she is the correct one but even though I'm more of a like emotional type person I don't know it's hard to say maybe we'll find out as we go along (laughs) (laughs) say who knows we have so much to I, I found myself having a lot to say about Eleanor and what she's thinking and doing at any given moment. <laughs> <laughs> More so than I usually do. So oh gosh. should we just go ahead and get into the recap? Let's do it. I'm excited. All right. So we're doing chapters one through nine today, which I think is our biggest chunk of chapters because they're just like three page chapters, a lot of them. Yeah. Okay. So chapter one, we start off and we really like, she throws you in with getting into the minutia of the inheritances at Norland Park. Mm -hmm. So there's like an older single Dashwood man who is not their father, but just like an older man who owned Norland Park. And he lived with his sister until she died 10 years prior to his death. So after she died, he invited his nephew, who was going to inherit, and his family to come live with him. And they all did and kept him very happy until he died. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess for like 10 years, the the, the nephew, their father, Papa Dashwood, as I think I ended up calling him, <laughs> he had a son by a previous marriage, John, who we meet, his John's mother had been rich and all of that went to him. I believe that Papa Dashwood got to use about half of it until he died. I think so. Like half of it's, it's kind of like, I've never thought about the minutia, this like first little section as hard as I've thought about it. I was like, wait, what am I saying? On the other hand, Papa, I guess Papa Dashwood, he really only had like 7,000 pounds to his name, you know, without this inheritance and his second wife basically had nothing and the three girls didn't, couldn't expect much right old man dashwood <laughs> calling <laughs> the elderly man he ended up leaving the estate as he should have to papa dashwood but he left it in such a way that it was really only left to his son's son so like his grandson mm who was cute but annoying, but I guess had come to visit him a few times and been, like, super cute two-year-old terror. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
So basically what it meant was that he couldn't really sell off any of the estate to make any money for the girls because it wasn't really his. He was just holding it for his grandson or whatever. Right. Old man Dashwood did leave the girls a thousand pounds each. (laughs) And I was like, thanks, old man. We only made your life better for the last 10 years of it. But hey, we're girls, so... Who cares right. about us? <laughs> because it does it does say like he had every opportunity to make sure that they were taken care of, but he did not. <laughs> yeah. Which was like kind of like really shitty. I was like, are these the worst men alive? Because I was like, like they understand how like little of a chance women are given. Like it's very clear and they did not care. I mean, this book, it's funny because Kristen, who can't really be joining us for most of the recaps, but hopefully we'll have some check-in episodes with her. I remember her once writing me and being like, uh, Sense and Sensibility, the book in which everyone is horrible to the dashboards at all times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, like that. <laughs> I was like, as you read on more, you're like, these poor dashboards, they did nothing to deserve this. <laughs> I know. And so Papa, what he wanted to live longer because he thought well i can still make money for them you know using the estate but he only lived for like another year or something thanks a lot thanks for dying (laughs) when he he was dying he sent for his son john to ask him to help the the girls and he did assure him that he would do everything in his power for them Mm -hmm. and It said, John was not ill-disposed. Unless to be rather cold-hearted and rather selfish is to be (laughs) (laughs) ill-disposed. Oh, wait, wait. I think there's more. He was weak-willed and married to an unamiable woman who was rather a strong caricature of himself, more narrow-minded and selfish. (laughs) (laughs) That's our introduction to Fanny. (laughs) Gosh. I felt like, I was like, is she worse in the book than she was in the adaptation? Because I found myself like so annoyed every time she came on to the scene. Oh, I was yes. like, she needs to be taken away. She is annoying. But for some reason, I don't find her as annoying in the book as I do in um, adaptations. I don't know why exactly. I, I, I just, you know, there's a more annoying character who comes on the scene and I always find everyone <laughs> pales in annoyance to that <laughs> I do find that I'm much more annoyed with John Dashwood in the book because it feels like maybe the adaptations give him more leeway with him being like, oh, he's just, you know, he's not as strong-willed as his wife. But in this one, you're right. like, you're kind of a, a piece of garbage. <laughs> I mean, he's like asking, can you please talk me out of this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he he does like, he has all intentions, supposedly. At first, he's determined to give them 3,000 pounds after talking to his father, which still feels kind of low. Yeah. But as, as soon as the funeral was over, his wife shows up with their son and all of her attendants. <laughs> And with no notice whatsoever. (laughs) This was crazy. No one had much liked her before, but it wasn't until she showed up that they could see with how little attention to the comfort of other people she could act when occasion required it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fancy way of saying, what a bitch. (laughs) I think she's really, she is horrible, but she's kind of just like the epitome of 
the normal horribleness of the time. Like there is always yeah. a character exactly like her. Pretty it's much, almost like you know. the expected classism that you would experience. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I do find her to be just a little bit worse in the book, but I don't know why, because she does exactly the same stuff as she does in the adaptations. <laughs> I'm just more I mean, angry. It's just, I guess it's just how you picture her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just because she's just a sea of several people who are exactly like her. <laughs> exactly. And I think so she doesn't feel also... that much worse. <laughs> yeah. And I think because we're also getting is the mom Lady Dashwood or is she Miss Dashwood? Mrs. Dashwood. Mrs. Ferris. The mom of uh, the Dashwoods is what I meant. Sorry. Oh, Mrs. Dashwood. Yeah. So Mrs. they're both Dashwood. Mrs. Dashwood, but I just am going to call her Fanny pretty much yeah. the whole time. Okay. <laughs> I think also what makes her seem more horrible is that we kind of get a little bit more of a peek into Mrs. Dashwood's like <laughs> distaste for her. I feel like the narrator oh, yeah. is always like, you know, Mrs. Dashwood hates her so much and she wants to go as far away as possible. <laughs> I think because she kind of still acts within the confines of what is quote unquote polite. Right. You know, like even though she does push it to the extreme. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so Basically, Mrs. Dashwood, however, actually, she almost moves out the second Fanny arrives because she's so (laughs) disgusted by her. (laughs) But Eleanor convinces her not to in order to avoid a breach with John because, I mean, he's still their half-brother. You know, when someone dies, you're like, oh, but we have to stay family. Yeah, this is where I began to be like, Eleanor, (laughs) we're starting to disagree. (laughs) There are many times where I'm like, Eleanor, God, your fastidiousness is too much. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, you know, I do agree. Like, you know, let's not have to sell half our stuff just because we want to get out of this house so quickly. (laughs) Right, right. So Eleanor is 19 years old but she has the strength of understanding and a coolness of judgment, which helped her talk her impulsive mother out of rash actions. Um, It says she had an excellent heart. Her disposition was affectionate and her feelings were strong, but she knew how to govern them. It was a knowledge which her mother had yet to learn and which one of her sisters had resolved never to be taught. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They really hammer home that mama is very romantic at heart and i have to believe papa was too you know yeah i it definitely felt like um they were like marianne is her mother reincarnated and (laughs) they are the same person and i just yeah it's like a non-tempered version of her mother (laughs) basically yeah Uh, i'm not sure where eleanor gets her sense from because it didn't really imply that papa was extremely sensible i thought maybe he really well maybe he's like a colonel brandon i don't know (laughs) i could totally see if he was more romantic her being like completely surrounded by these people and being like you all are wrong (laughs) and i am correct (laughs) well when we sort her i've already decided that she's a capricorn so just so we know (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna bookmark that okay marianne's abilities in many respects are quite equal to eleanor's she was sensible and clever, but eager in everything. Her sorrows, her joys could have no moderation. She was generous, amiable, interesting. She was everything but prudent. The resemblance between her and her mother were strikingly great. <laughs> <laughs> 
But she's 16 years old. I mean, yeah, it's the time of romance and romanticism. Everyone is like in this crazy romantic spirit. But she's like a 16 year old. It's like swept exactly. up in all this poetry. She's And she's emotional. I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, she's like a much more intelligent and reserved Kitty and Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I kind of like group them together because they're around the same age. And there's like that sense of, you know, quote unquote, boy craziness and being like, I want to be in love. And, but <laughs> well, Marianne yeah. definitely has more uh, sense about her. She's definitely like a more sensible, but I almost think she's like a more sensible Catherine Moreland kind of. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> so yeah, her and Mama basically encourage each other to be so overwhelmed <laughs> by their feelings to not be able to see. I feel like this is so judgmental. I don't know if this is Eleanor or the author, but they're like, they're so overwhelmed by their feelings or they allow them, encourage each other to be so overwhelmed by their feelings <laughs> that they're unable to be productive or speak to their annoying relations. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand their father just died, you know, and they're yeah. now having to move out. Their whole world has been turned upside down. I don't know. I feel it's very judgmental for them to be like, for Eleanor or the, or the author to be like, oh, they just encourage each other to be horrible. But <laughs> that's why I feel like Eleanor, the author, Jane Austen, mm, yeah. three and one. <laughs> Eleanor does seem to manage it, though. <laughs> yeah. The youngest sister, Margaret, is 13 and says that she seemed to be going the way of Marianne and Mama in the sensibility department. <laughs> <laughs> poor eleanor okay so chapter two i really only wrote like two paragraphs Kristen said she loved this chapter i always want to skip it because it's <laughs> the most annoying of all <laughs> oh gosh i'm trying to like what exactly happened uh i will tell you this is the chapter say, where fanny convinces me? john to not give them any money so oh yeah. Hmm. She's she's been treating the ladies with a quiet civility. <laughs> and and John with as much kindness as he could feel toward anyone but himself, his wife and their child. <laughs> <laughs> but she was not into the idea of giving them 3000 pounds and impoverishing her own son by it. Yeah, okay. She doesn't think her father-in-law was in his right mind at the time. Plus they're only half-bloods to them. <laughs> I was like, okay, bitch. That was so crazy. <laughs> like the idea of her being like, you're going to impoverish our son, our son who can make money. Women can't make yeah. money. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Maybe mad. Or like, I mean, she's got now two houses. She comes from a rich family. And she's like, right. nobody cares about their sister, especially if they're only half related to them. And it's like, girl. <laughs> like gosh uh, was everyone this horrible i mean this this is the i feel like this is definitely kind of the worst chapter I'm, i was listening to it and i was like can i just skip it i don't want to listen to this <laughs> uh, <laughs> john uh, cuts his gift from three thousand pounds to 1500 pounds and then he's like maybe a hundred dollars a hundred pounds a year and then fanny talks him out of all of it and he's down to like 50 pound presents here and there. But then Fanny thinks that that's too much. Like, because I guess they have like, they I think they inherited 7,000 pounds 
mm-hmm. from something. Plus they have 3,000. So together between them, they have like 10,000 pounds. So they should be making around 500 pounds a year to live off of, mm-hmm. which is not too much, but apparently she thinks it's way more than enough for them to live off of. <laughs> Plus, she's getting all those dishes (laughs) (laughs) she already owned. (laughs) She's going to keep all her stuff, so she doesn't need more money. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, John lands on, I'm just going to help them move when it's time. But he's going to do that. Spoiler alert. (laughs) I will say this chapter is like very infuriating to read, but I also kind of love the almost like the zigzag back and forth of being of the wordplay of yeah. like how they get to the point where they're like, nah, we'll just help them move. Yeah. I mean, it's really funny, but I feel like it's really well covered in adaptations. You know, it's not like, yeah, I feel like it's just a verbatim scene. In the adaptation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's not much, like there's not anything really changed, but it is really interesting to kind of like hear, to read it, to be like, Oh, it's yeah. just going back and forth. okay so chapter three so the gals stay several months because mrs dashwood just can't handle the idea of moving while she's grieving and oh but when she's ready to go she's ready to go (laughs) (laughs) she really wants to stay in the neighborhood but eleanor keeps rejecting every idea because it's all just too expensive right probably for the i mean definitely for the best I guess she comes to this revelation (laughs) within this chapter, but Mama really thought that John was going to give them some help because, you know, he promised it all. (laughs) Right. And she she really doesn't like Fanny at all, but they still stay over six months, which is a really long time. Yeah. But it's a lot of it is because there's a certain circumstance that she finds favorable to Eleanor, (laughs) which is that Edward comes to visit. (laughs) (laughs) But it says that a lot of mothers would have encouraged the match because he was ostensibly very rich, even if it all depended on his mother. But Mama liked him because he appeared to love Eleanor and she seemed to return the partiality. Very sweet. Okay, so Edward. (laughs) He is described as not handsome. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this this author is being very (laughs) shady. And his manners require intimacy to make them pleasing. So <laughs> not great first impression. You have to know no. him to like him. Not great in groups. Yeah. It says when his natural shyness was overcome, his behavior gave every indication of an open, affectionate heart. <laughs> <laughs> I just, she's so funny. Okay, so. Very. His mothers and sisters want to see him distinguish himself or at least drive a barouche. But Edward only really wants domestic comfort and a quiet private life. Luckily, his younger brother is much more promising. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Of course, Mama didn't even notice him for the first few weeks. He was there (laughs) until Eleanor pointed out that he was so much different than his sister. (laughs) I just would love that. Like, she has a brother. He's been here for weeks and I haven't even noticed him. She's been ignoring him. And as soon as Eleanor tells her, she finds him much more, or no, she finds him everything amiable. And she says, (laughs) I love him already. (laughs) 
Oh, that was so sweet. I do like the relationship between Mama and Eleanor. It seems very like, I don't know. Yeah. She just really I loves her Mama, daughter. She's so loving. And, you yeah. know, so is Marianne. I mean, I think maybe it's just because I'm American, but we, I find that <laughs> people who can express their affection, you know, or anything they're feeling is better than someone who keeps it all bottled up inside personally. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but, you know, I think, well, we got a long way to go in this book. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor is talking about him, I think, to Marianne. And she's like, you're you're going to like him. You're, you will esteem him. Um, <laughs> and Mama says, I can't do anything less than love. Oh, I think she says to Ma. I thought she was talking to Marianne. She's talking to Mama. She's like, you're going to like him. You'll esteem him. And Mama's like, I can't do anything less than love. <laughs> <laughs> it's love or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as she felt like he did like Eleanor, she started to consider them married and told Marianne so. <laughs> <laughs> and neither her nor Marianne know how they're ever going to live without Eleanor in their lives. <laughs> so sweet i just love their relationships i know marianne does find edward wanting though he doesn't have enough i'm just gonna say passion even though she says sensibility but you know that's what i got for her yeah i think that's That's basically what what sensibility is this is like a passion yeah although she doesn't really think that there is a man out there who could fit all of what she's looking for in a husband (laughs) (laughs) and she knows this she's very matter of fact she's like I know my requirements are top, top, top. Yeah. Her mother reminds her that she's only 16 and it's too early to despair of such happiness. (laughs) (laughs) You got a long way to go, kid. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, so chapter four. Marianne may not approve of Edward's passion for art, but she does think the world of his goodness and sense. And Eleanor thinks that his passion for art is just fine once you get to know him. (laughs) Once you get to know him, he actually even becomes kind of (laughs) handsome. You kind of have to just, you know, stare at him for a while and tilt your head. (laughs) Yeah. Marianne says, I'll find him very handsome when you're engaged to be married. (laughs) (laughs) And then Eleanor gets a little worried. (laughs) She's not so certain that they will be getting married. She knew that what Marianne and her mother conjectured one moment, they believed the next. That with them, to wish was to hope, and to hope was to expect. And she tries to explain, using her trusty adjectives, (laughs) that she thinks highly (laughs) and esteems. And Marianne threatens to leave the room. (laughs) And Eleanor LOLs. (laughs) They just understand each other so perfectly. I know. I love that Eleanor can just be like, okay, fine, Mary. <laughs> you know, she finds <laughs> She says, be assured, I meant no offense to you by speaking in so quiet a way of my own feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and I can imagine Marianne being like, thank you for apologizing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, she says she, she thinks that he does prefer her but she knows that there are other factors than his own inclination to be considered. Little Uh, does she know the real inclinations. Okay. Um, She does notice that he does get despondent from time to time, that he's not assured of his future. If he doesn't do as his mother tells him, 
And the more time she spends with him, the more she thinks, maybe we are just friends. Uh, rude. <laughs> friend zoned. Uh, yeah. Fanny has observed the budding relationship as well and is feeling a little uneasy about it. Uh, <laughs> she speaks to Mama in a pointed roundabout way about women trying to draw him in, which Mama totally understands what she's trying to say. And she mm -hmm. gives her an answer, which marks her contempt, then immediately leaves the room. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I love Mama. <laughs> she's like i can't stand to be around her for another second i mean thank god that they're willing i mean eleanor doesn't do that is my favorite thing about eleanor is she will just she will just be a bitch to your face you know? yes <laughs> i find in that, the nicest way possible <laughs> yeah i find that those are some of my favorite jane austen characters who are just like yeah. i don't care <laughs> if i'm being rude yeah oh it's very lizzie bennett that's how I always see it. Yes, yes. Just around this time, Mama receives a letter offering her a small house on easy terms, belonging to a relative, a gentleman of consequence in Devonshire. And he's very friendly. He's anxious to accommodate them. He offers to fix up the cottage in any way that will make it more comfortable to them. <laughs> and I actually, because of stuff that happens later with like, guests coming i wonder <laughs> is he really related to her because <laughs> when he meets lucy he's like oh we're related some way but like, he just yes. loves to help people <laughs> yes he's just got a really big helping spirit and <laughs> he just anytime he sees someone in need <laughs> i feel like he just intercepted someone's mail and was like oh i'm definitely related to these people <laughs> <laughs> we're related we're all english <laughs> So Mama doesn't really necessarily want to leave Norland, but after over six months, she's more than ready to get far away from Fanny and John. <laughs> and she basically accepts in her head as she is reading the letter from Sir John and <laughs> immediately writes her acceptance. But she is nice slash smart enough to show both letters to her daughters before she sends their reply. <laughs> I love that. Eleanor is not thrilled about the offer. She says it brought no charm to her fancy, <laughs> but she thought it was kind of perfect in all other respects. So <laughs> we move on <sighs> to chapter five. <laughs> yes. Eleanor's like, as long as we can leave now, let's go. <laughs> uh, okay. So Mama tells the other Dashwoods slash fairs and Edward seems distressed but she mm. invites everyone to visit them especially edward pointedly to prove to fanny how little she cares about her disapproval of the match <laughs> <laughs> and john actually seems a little upset that they're moving so far away because that means that he can't really help them move their furniture because it's all going by boat so it can't use his carriage like you could oh pay for the boat, i'm sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can give them money yeah, I mean, I mean, that was how he had resolved how he's going to honor his promise to his father after all. Jerk. Basically, they just have like some plates and linen, some a bunch of books and a piano. Fanny is sorry to see all the fancy furniture go to such a small cottage, but Fanny thinks everything <laughs> should be hers. <laughs> yeah, she was like, what are they going to do with all that furniture in that house? Use it? <laughs> Sit down? <laughs> Uh, they had already sold the horses that were left to them, and 
Eleanor also insisted that they sell the carriage because she's a sensible girl and what use is a carriage with no horses? <laughs> exactly. And she also, she's, this is very Anne Elliot to me, like this whole part of where Eleanor is like, okay, we don't, I'm going to, but she doesn't have a whole family fighting against her. Like, and it. right <laughs> but uh, they're looking at her like you're in charge you make the decisions for us yeah she determines they need only three servants two maids and a man and they send them ahead to prepare the house <laughs> only three <laughs> <laughs> i mean can you imagine how many they actually did have initially good lord i don't really know how big norlin is i think that in the emma thompson movie it's bigger than it would have been yeah but what's I'm just trying to figure out in a lot of the annotated books I've read, they'll give like example houses, like pictures of them of like what they're probably based on. I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. So there's a a place called uh, Farnley Hall, which they call a grand country house. And they, they think that that's kind of basically the idea of what Norland might've been. It's pretty big. <laughs> okay. It's not humongous, but it's pretty big. Yeah. Okay, so as they're preparing to go, that's when Mama finally realizes that John thought that his promise was fulfilled just by letting them stay there for the six months that it took them to find a new place. Because <laughs> she's God. still thinking, uh, she was like, well, he didn't give us any money, you know, when he got here. So I assume when we <laughs> leave, he will. And now she's like, okay, fine. <laughs> the night before they leave, Marianne wanders the house like a wraith, reciting improvised poetry to everything she's going to miss. <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> i love marianne so much in this book i know okay chapter six okay so as they ride into town they start to realize that it's actually really pretty area where they're going to be living in they get to the cottage and it's very comfortable it's compact but it didn't really have any of the hallmarks of a cottage. Things like, this is so uh, North Avery, no broken <laughs> roofs or plants growing through the walls or green shutters even. <laughs> <laughs> but there's two sitting rooms, two offices downstairs, four bedrooms upstairs, and two garrets, which are like attic rooms, which I assume are like for servants or whatever. Yeah, probably. And the servants are joyful when they arrive and it all led to them being very impressed overall. And I wrote, I wonder if there's a kitchen. Because <laughs> they didn't <laughs> say anything about a kitchen, but yeah, I assume there has to be some sort of a kitchen. Maybe it's like a separate building in the back. Yeah, I wonder. I just kind of think the same. But then I was like, kitchens back then were, were like, really, it wasn't like, oh, we need to have a very like nice, impressive kitchen. Like, it was kind of like, these are where people that we hire prepare food. It's not really like... It never felt really like part of the house in the sense of yeah. more. It felt like servant quarters still. Yeah. So I mean, maybe that's basically, why. Their uh, food is provided by the big house. In most right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, I wrote, I really like reading the descriptions of everything that have to do with the cottage and everything around. It explains that they're kind of up on one end of a valley and the town of Barton is kind of up the slope from them. And from where they are, they have a nice view of the rest of the valley. Mama is, from the second they get there, planning improvements that she will never be able to afford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, she's like, we're going to add two rooms here and we're going to do this here and maybe we should repaint here. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, Eleanor puts all her art up on the walls. Go, girl. Yes. I always think you should put your art on the walls <laughs> if you have it. I agree. <laughs> Marianne unpacks her piano. And presumably Margaret is there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did think that like, especially in this chapter, I was like, we've had one sentence about Margaret. And <laughs> the rest were like, she doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. The next morning, their landlord, Sir John Middleton arrives. He <laughs> is good humored and friendly and seems genuinely solicitous for their comfort. He insists they dine with him every day until they're settled. And he sends them a basket of fruit and garden provisions and a present of game, like, immediately. (laughs) So nice. And he also insists that they spend, or that he will send all of their post and send over his newspaper every day. So he's just like, basically, I mean, I would let you live here for free, but if you want to pay me rent, (laughs) (laughs) I'll still give you all of your food and I'll pay for all of your everything else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I nice love Sir such John. a huh <laughs> i love sir john. john yeah me too i was like such a 180 from their former situation <laughs> yeah it takes like the whole book for them to start giving him and mrs jennings the credit they deserve but seriously. i just think that they are so kind <laughs> seriously the next day lady middleton comes to visit sir john's wife she is 26 handsome Tall, striking, elegant, and graceful. She has all the manners and none of the warmth and frankness. (laughs) Opposite (laughs) of her husband. (laughs) (laughs) She basically seems to talk only of her children. And her eldest is six. And there is a line that says, On every formal visit, a child ought to be of the party by way of provision for discourse. (laughs) (laughs) She really loves her kids. At least we'll always have something to talk about if I drag my kids along with me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, chapter seven. The Middletons lived with equal hospitality and elegance. The former for Sir John, the latter for his lady. (laughs) (laughs) They always have to have company to entertain them as Sir John is basically only into like sport shooting and Lady Middleton is only into being a mother. (laughs) that's really their only interests and it says that they have a total want of talent and taste but i think it's just trying to say that they don't have any other pursuits like they don't have any other hobbies or things that they do i'm not sure if it's judgmental or if it's just like the language of the time you know yeah because i I didn't yeah. get like a judgmental angle of it just because they even like the description of uh, Lady Middleton, how she's like, you know, not warm, but I just felt like it was like, yeah, that's just who she is. It wasn't like she's <laughs> mean and cold hearted. Oh, no, she just seems really like bland. And yeah, she's kind of like a fanny, but like without the calculation, <laughs> like she doesn't yeah. seem like I need to get everything. She's just like. I only want good people around me who want to praise my children. Yeah. But I don't know the specifically the want of talent and taste. I don't know if that means like yeah. what we would say it means. Yeah. Or if it I just means almost, they don't really do anything. Yeah. I almost get the impression maybe it's like the language of the time basically saying like, oh, they're just simple people. Like how sometimes saying saying simple can have kind of two meanings. <laughs> like it can be kind yeah. of like really direct or it can be just like, oh, that's just who they are. Yeah. 
Plus, Jane Austen is like reading everyone. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, but Sir John genuinely loves to have a ton of people and noise and life all around him. <laughs> and he provides parties and balls for the neighborhood youth. And a new family <laughs> is always a matter of joy for him. So, like, I feel like uh, the Bennets would have loved having him in the neighborhood. <laughs> oh, for sure. They would have probably been, like, best friends. Yeah. <laughs> he apologizes for not having more company the first time they visit. <laughs> but <laughs> this, I found it very interesting that he says, but it's moonlight and everyone has plans. So I guess because it's a full moon, everyone is like, oh, we're going out because we can see all night. <laughs> <laughs> that's true i didn't even catch that <laughs> that's funny. i just thought it was really interesting i never caught that either myself <laughs> that's funny <laughs> we can see tonight so i guess we'll do something yeah <laughs> luckily lady middleton's mother mrs jennings has arrived the night before yay <laughs> yay <laughs> she is good humored merry fat an elderly woman <laughs> who talks a great deal, seems very happy and rather vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is she my favorite now? <laughs> That's she's, a great description. I know. She's full of jokes and laughter with many witty things to say on the subject of lovers and husbands. And I wrote, <laughs> God, I love her. <laughs> <laughs> she just gets it. Uh, I mean, I don't think I'm a Marianne or an Eleanor, but I would be like, Mrs. Jennings is my favorite person, and I would literally just sit next to her and talk to her all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Marianne is affronted by all of Mrs. Jennings prodding about lovers left behind and succeeds in actually being way more embarrassing to Eleanor than Mrs. Jennings could ever be. <laughs> uh, I can kind of remember being that age and being like oh don't talk to me about cute boys <laughs> you know <laughs> only i'm supposed to be interested in them you're not supposed to talk about them yeah <laughs> and also colonel brandon is there and he appeared silent and grave and <laughs> they all seem very mismatched but somehow they're all friends or related because like they're like i don't know how lady middleton is mrs jenny's daughter or how she married sir john or how colonel brandon is a friends to any of these people but right it all works somehow <laughs> <laughs> and they the girls are talking about colonel brandon and margaret and marianne think he's he's ancient because he's over 35 <laughs> and mama <laughs> We, I think that's where we find out that Mama is only like 40 years old. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm older than Mama? Oh my God. She... I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she makes some comment about like, well, <laughs> you girls must think I'm dying tomorrow because... <laughs> yeah. Which is kind I'm of ironic because that is around the age Jane Austen died. Yeah. Ugh, that's weird. I don't like I it. I know. Push out away. So I guess they're still at the um, the big house and they break out the piano and Marianne goes and plays through all of their music. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Lady Middleton celebrated her marriage by giving up playing the piano. <laughs> Though <laughs> Lady <laughs> Mrs. Jennings says she was very good. But they're all in raptures and well, <laughs> they all appear to be in raptures, but it seems like Brandon is the only one who actually pays her the compliment of listening to her play. <laughs> <laughs> and Marianne does recognize this and appreciates him for it. Okay, chapter eight. 
And I wrote, okay, I admit it. Maybe Jane Austen finds Marianne much more ridiculous than Eleanor. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so Mrs. Jennings, she loves to make matches. And she decides, after she sees Brandon paying attention to Marianne, oh, paying attention to her playing a second time, that he is definitely in love with her. (laughs) And she starts (laughs) teasing Marianne, which leads to a conversation between her and her mother and her sister. And this is where Marianne considers Brandon to be an infirm, infirm (laughs) old man who could be her father, which is true. And (laughs) she says that he's so old that he could never get married. (laughs) (laughs) And both Mama and Eleanor object to this. And Mama, because she's in her early 40s, she laughs at Marianne. And, oh yeah, I guess we just said this, but this is in this chapter. But she thinks that she must live in dread of her decay. (laughs) (laughs) Eleanor thinks that, yeah, maybe Marianne is too young for him, but... A woman of, say, 27 wouldn't be. And Marianne thinks that a woman of 27 could never be an object of desire. And so would only be a marriage of convenience, which doesn't count as a real marriage. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Marianne has very strong feelings. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I mean, Eleanor is only 19, but like she, because of those two adaptations where she also plays Charlotte, who is 27, it's so and because Emma Thompson played her when she was way much older than she would have been right she feels like she is an older girl like she should be 27 yeah but also okay well there's a lot that I've had feelings about when it comes to Eleanor and Colonel Brandon (laughs) but we'll get to it Marianne also tells her mother that she's afraid that Edward must be ill since he hasn't come to visit yet and she suspects he may not actually be in love with Eleanor. She says she left them alone together twice on their last day at Norland, and he unaccountably followed her out of the room both times. <laughs> <sighs> also, Eleanor didn't cry when they moved. <laughs> and now her <laughs> self-command is invariable. When she is dejected, oh, she says, when is she dejected or melancholy? When does she try to avoid society or appear restless and dissatisfied in it? So like Eleanor, you know, not getting as emotional and being like, I'm, you know, keeping it all right. inside makes uh, Marianne feel like, well, sh- I guess she doesn't really like him because I've not seen right. one sign that she is sad at all that we've left him. <laughs> right. Marianne's been reading too many uh, romance novels. <laughs> but it makes sense, which is kind of like yeah. why in the future she doesn't really consider that Eleanor would be pining away for Edward because she's like, you don't I, show like you, you really, really care about him. like you like him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, so final chapter, chapter nine. Okay, so one day after it had been raining for two days straight and the skies cleared a little bit, Marianne and Margaret optimistically go out on a walk. (laughs) (laughs) They go to the top of the hill and enjoy a sharp breeze in their face. And they are determined, or at least Marianne is determined to stay out for hours. But little do they know that that breeze they were feeling was actually a downdraft. And the rain came straight behind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe 
Jane Austen herself didn't realize that it was a downdraft, but being a Floridian, I know everything there is to know oh. about women. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say, being in Florida, you you know a downdraft when you feel it. <laughs> you just know the rain. <laughs> oh, it's so coming. refreshing uh, right before a storm. Right, get inside. <laughs> <laughs> they are forced to run home. And I said the best, oh, and the best part of which was being able to run downhill. But unfortunately, <laughs> halfway down, Marianne slips and Margaret couldn't stop her own momentum. And so continued all the way down to the bottom, <laughs> which is right where their house is. Uh, luckily, a gentleman with a gun and two pointers came to help her. And seeing that she couldn't walk, carried her the rest of the way home. Uh. They enter the door that was still flung open from when Margaret burst in. (laughs) (laughs) And he sets her down. He tells them all that his name is Willoughby and that he currently lives at Allenham. And they had previously admired that house, thinking it looked a lot like Norlin. Marianne and Eleanor had because they've walked all of the woods and everything around there. Uh, He says that he'll be back tomorrow and he leaves. And Eleanor and Mama... Both recognized that he was hot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, stay away from him. <laughs> Marianne, who actually had seen him the least because of just, you know, all the circumstances, <laughs> was already thinking of him like a hero in one of her favorite stories. And later that morning, Sir John comes in and hears the story. He says that he does know Willoughby. He comes down every year. He's a good shot and a bold rider. <laughs> But other than that, he's not really able to satisfy Marianne's curiosity about him. (laughs) He also also tells them that Willoughby is to inherit Alanum, which uh, when the old lady who lives there dies, and he has his own estate in Somersetshire. Somersetshire. (laughs) Somersetshire. Somersetshire. (laughs) Somersetshire. He jokes that Eleanor shouldn't give him up to a younger sister, even if she did sprain her ankle. Sprain her ankle. (laughs) (laughs) But Mama assures him that her daughters weren't raised to catch eligible men, unlike (laughs) the Bennett girls. (laughs) (laughs) Sir John is yeah. It's so funny because she's like the romantic one, but she's like no, 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 no. Yes, she's she's almost like in a way. I don't know if it's maybe just less daughters but she's like (laughs) we don't need to be desperate essentially yeah yeah maybe it's just because they had more money through like their formative years i don't know sir john is sad for brandon because he was already quite smitten (laughs) he's in love (laughs) and that's the end so good i love it We've gotten so far in these first nine chapters. <laughs> I know. I was, <laughs> I got to chapter nine and I was like, this seems like um, half the movie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> because, I mean, to... we do spend yeah. a majority of those chapters at Norlin. Yeah. But we get our introduction to Bart. <laughs> <sighs> got Barton. We got Willoughby. We've got Colonel Brandon. <laughs> we got so much. And so far to go. What was your favorite part? (laughs) (laughs) I, hmm, I'm trying to think of what was like, because I really did enjoy a lot of the author description of 
Marianne and kind of like Uh the relationships between all of them. I'm trying to think of like a specific. When she's like judging Edward. (laughs) (laughs) I do really. Actually, that's my favorite part. My favorite part is when Eleanor and Marianne are talking about Edward and Marianne (laughs) is like, he's definitely not going to meet my uh, qualifiers. Yeah. No man ever will. (laughs) It just made me laugh. (laughs) <laughs> I just I just feel like I with like stuff like that I'm just like really loving Marianne a lot I do I do love her what about yours gosh I mean I guess I just really liked this time through I really kind of liked the very very opening and kind of learning about old man <laughs> Dashwood and because I I mean obviously I've read that part before but I just I guess I just it goes over my head usually and I don't really look at it that closely but it's really Uh interesting to learn about him and like I said chapter two I just want to skip so (laughs) (laughs) but I really like getting to meet Sir John I like Mm -hmm. how I like Mrs. Jennings I really like the description of her and I like how funny it is that Marianne is like oh no but like (laughs) she's just so body and she's just so willing to talk about anything and she's just i don't know i just love her Uh, yeah i feel like those are always my favorite characters are like when there are aspects about them that are outside of the norm of the time of like in regards to like manners and all that other stuff those are always end up being like some of my favorite characters yeah and i like it being really stated obviously that (laughs) You know, even though Marianne obviously thinks that people should be over the top with their love, but her being like, I mean, I don't think Eleanor really liked it that much because of the way she's acting. I like right. having that so early <laughs> in the book to like establish future things. Right. All right, let's do the deep dive. Alrighty. I decided that we should do Mrs. Dashwood or Mama. Yeah. <laughs> we've actually done quite a few characters already between the two adaptations that we've done. Right, right, right. So Mama, uh, she is, she's 40, as we said at the beginning of the novel. She has more sensibility than sense and she's not very frugal. We don't really know much about her early life. I mean, she was clearly married around like 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. She's very concerned with the happiness of, for her daughters, of her daughters, but she's not all that interested in them marrying for money or for societal standards. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. started to look up like on jazz and stuff, stuff about her. And I wrote... <laughs> Because the stuff I was finding, it was like, preserve me from scholarly papers about the Dashwood women written by psychology students. (laughs) (laughs) They are incomprehensible. (laughs) They are (laughs) all psychological language. Sometimes I get so annoyed with scholarship. (laughs) (laughs) The way they write papers. (laughs) Like I can understand it, but I would rather not have to decipher it. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't want to have to put that that much effort. Yeah. I mean, but I did find a lot of like psychology student thesis papers on all of the Dutch women. 
interesting. <laughs> okay, so I did have an idea. I wrote as I'm... what I thought she was. And I put cancer. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was like, she seems very emotional, but also, like, optimistic in a way. Yeah. So, like, she never is, like, really bogged down by negative emotions. She is always, like, you know, wanting the best for other people and feeling very just positive all the time. So that's what I, I kind of was like, she's definitely a water sign. Yeah. And, you know, cancer is ruled by the moon, which is very ever changing, which, you know, is very emotional. And, mm-hmm. but they're also, I think, kind of like practical. And they're considered the mothers of the zodiac. So that might have been <laughs> perfect. Why I felt that way. All right. Well, what else? Okay. We've got D and D. I, I would say she is probably, I would say she's neutral good personally. I would say you are correct. That was my first instinct. Although I would say in her mind, she's lawful good because, you know, she's got her own set of morals that she thinks and lives by, you know, not like necessarily what society, right? because, you know, she wants what's best for her daughters, but she doesn't want to marry them off for money or whatever so right it really depends on how you're looking at it but yeah i would say neutral or lawful good yeah i was like thinking neutral because i was like she seems the type of mom to be like let's hide the body (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's true i think she would definitely hide the body if need be (laughs) (laughs) she's just the best and then are we doing um which david lynch stuff would be her yeah. The gig. I would say I think she would like Blue Velvet a lot. Mm. Yeah, that's a very, good one. It just feels very passionate, and I think she really likes that kind of aspect of it. And I don't know. I, think I don't she know would why. Like Twin Peaks as well. I think like yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> she seems like if you put her in the modern time, she might be like the kind of mom who really likes to watch murder shows a lot. You know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like she date is a... lines. And... <laughs> <laughs> Snapped, all those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely a blue velvet. Definitely. She might go, <gasps> when right. Dorothy shows up naked, but she'd also feel so bad for her. Right. <laughs> she like, put her through it. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like there's something about her and... Well, maybe not Marianne just because she's so young, but like the idea of the way she is so passionate that feels like mm-hmm. she could handle some darker stuff, you know? Oh, like, for sure. Yeah, she's plumbed the depths of her feelings. <laughs> <laughs> she's been through enough stuff to be like, yeah, the world is bad, but there is also yeah. good parts of it. I won't necessarily say we need to pick who she would flirt with because she doesn't seem like the type to really... She's not like a teenage girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she doesn't really seem very flirtatious in this book. So, If we had to imagine what the elder Papa Dashwood, not old man Dashwood, but Papa Dashwood was a character from Twin Peaks or something, who would we imagine he would be most like? (laughs) For some reason, Pete comes first to mind just because I'm like, Pete is very sweet, and I would just like them together. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Pete is the sweetest, but... I feel like they... I feel like it would be 
Oh, gosh. Doc Hayward, maybe. Maybe. I was kind of thinking Harry just because okay. while he is practical, I feel like he has a crazy romantic side. Oh, yeah. That's because a good of point. his like passionate nature with Josie. I like so that. maybe kind of a Harry. I don't know. <laughs> I could see that. Maybe and Ed. I could totally see or an Ed, yeah. I could totally see my mom being like, <laughs> that Harry. <laughs> he's very <laughs> ooh. <laughs> Um, all right. Cancer, lawful good slash neutral good. And blue velvet twin peaks lover. Possibly yes. with a crush on Harry. And or who did you say? Pete? No, not Pete. Uh Ed. Ed. Yeah. Oh. That's I do weird. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said that. You said that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, well let's let's do final thoughts on the first nine chapters. I think it's like a really exciting beginning to a book. I feel like it totally like grabbed me and I'm excited to read the rest of the book. I'm like, (laughs) I feel like I'm like, I had to hold myself back from just reading the rest of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, although we're not recording it as quickly as we recorded Persuasion, we are kind of doing it in a closer like a quicker format than we might normally yeah so it'll be good to keep it all fresh in our brains and i'm excited to get to the next section too yeah i'm excited to get to to the end i mean i'm excited (laughs) to do all the rest of this book (laughs) yeah it just it's got this weird thing like i don't know what it is about this book but i'm just kind of obsessed with it and then (laughs) i'm like really obsessed with marianne (laughs) more so than i have been before and like I yeah. know what's gonna happen because I've seen two different adaptations, but I'm like, what's gonna happen <laughs> next? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I started off when I first watched the adaptation when I was like 16 or whenever it came out with the Emma Thompson one, and I was like, uh-huh. I love Mary, <laughs> I think she's great. <laughs> and then as I got older, I was like, oh well, I can see there's a lot of flaws in Marianne and Eleanor. You know, I feel so bad for you, and I love you. And now. Like over the past couple of years, I've become more back to, I understand you, Marianne, and like your nature and I understand mm-hmm. you, Eleanor, but I'm like, I feel maybe because the book is more judgmental of Marianne than of Eleanor, I feel mm-hmm. conversely, like I have to be more judgmental of Eleanor. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. This time reading it, I felt like I was kind of in dialogue with Jane Austen about like, is this really what we think is the best idea? <laughs> Should we talk about this a little bit more? <laughs> I Something I think that maybe we should kind of come back to at the end as we kind of read more into it is, would we rather have more sense or more sensibility if we had to yeah. have like an overflow of one or the other? So maybe something we can come back to at the end after we read the whole book. Definitely. I think... It's hard to say, I mean, at this point, yeah. which I don't think I can personally, I don't think I'd be able to contain my sensibility as Eleanor uh-huh. does. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, I think I might be as of right now, Marianne. <laughs> I think I'm a cross between the two, but I feel like I'm definitely not as crazy as Marianne. But <laughs> no, no, no. Because we're not 16-year-olds, but... (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But, you know, and Eleanor, she's only 19, too. So she has to... She thinks she knows everything. Exactly. 
So I think as and we she's read. she's got that. Oh, sorry. I was going to say she's got that like young person. I'm embarrassed by my family thing. Yes. Still, <laughs> I think. <laughs> she's like, why can't you guys just be like me and be sensible yeah. and <laughs> just mind your business about everything? Yeah, why can't you just be nice to everyone, preserve all horrid relationships? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think as we read... We're not nice, <laughs> simple. <laughs> yeah, simple, yeah. I think as we read more, and especially, I, that's why I was like, maybe at the end, once we read the full book, we could kind of like make our firm decision if we had to have more of one or the yeah. other, which one would we want? Yeah. So. Because yeah, I definitely, because <laughs> there's still a lot of things to happen that might sway. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, and I'm definitely very interested in what our listeners are thinking about this because I found myself as I was like questioning Eleanor more. I was like, oh god, are people gonna hate me for like, you know, <laughs> not just being like an Eleanor Stan the whole time? <laughs> I mean, I am, but still like. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just looking at it more critically because, I mean, not critically. I don't know. I just feel like because it's sense and sensibility, it feels like there should be a critical eye towards the Eleanor side as well. Yeah. Even if the narrator doesn't like pull it out as much as she does with Marianne. Yeah. And I, you know, would not be shocked at all if Jane wrote it in a way where because I think it's a lot easier to be more critical of Marianne because you're like, oh, she's just young and very emotional. Yeah. It's like, I almost wonder if she's like wanting people to kind of be like, but what about Eleanor? Have that thought and just kind of be like, well, what's wrong with Eleanor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm, I'm having yeah. the same kind of thoughts that you are where I'm like, I'm definitely going to keep looking at Eleanor with a little bit more of like a sharper eye. <laughs> Yeah, and it doesn't really get too bad until she who will not be named until she shows up, shows up. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I wonder who this is. Is it <laughs> Susie? Listen to all the podcasts. Wheel? I think you already know. <laughs> <laughs> but next section, we get lots of Willoughby. <laughs> <sighs> Evil, evil W man. If I remember correctly, when I was writing the recaps, I was like, because I just split it up by like page number, basically. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like it really works the ending points that we have. But mm -hmm. we'll see. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I'm excited. Me too. Well, okay. <laughs> now let's move on to what are we enjoying at the moment? <laughs> huh, well. And or recommendations if you prefer. <laughs> right. I would say because I kind of, I think I, when we were doing recommendations, maybe it was even like about a year ago, I recommended the series and kind of like stopped watching it three quarters of the way through just because other shows came on that I was like, oh, I want to watch that first. But uh. I just finished the first season of Raised by Wolves today, oh. actually. And I was like, oh, why did I stop watching this? It's such a great sci-fi. It's kind of like, I'm not going to say that it's doing something new because I feel like you can't really do something new anymore. But it's <laughs> definitely kind of like 
just it's bringing something new like just different to the game than what maybe we've been doing with sci-fi for a while like getting us maybe new creatures and new ways to look at like ai and i just think it's so and new ways to kind of look at how religion plays into it and i just think it's really interesting and all the characters even though like some of them are androids i'm like (laughs) i'm rooting for them so hard and i love them (laughs) And the second season premieres February 3rd, which is tomorrow. So I finished it just in time. So I would say I'm really enjoying it. And I'm really excited for tomorrow's episode. Oh, well, I'm definitely that's one that's like kind of on my list, but I always kind of forget about Mm -hmm. because I become very slow in watching. I feel like I can watch. I mean, because over the past two months, I've probably watched almost all of RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, <laughs> yes. I started All-Star Season 5 yesterday. Ooh. So besides all the foreign ones, I basically only have like two more seasons. Wow. I did start UK versus the world. I don't know if you've seen that Yeah, one. Yes, I did. I loved it. What did <laughs> you think? Very excited. I was because I love... Well, there's some of them that I've never seen because I haven't seen all the foreign ones. Right. But yeah. I was I thought it was interesting that they were all UK season one girls and yes I love Juju B and Monique Hart or Mo Hart whatever her name is now yes with every fiber of my being I love both of them <laughs> so I'm very excited <laughs> me to see too them. <laughs> and I'm so excited about this Thai girl uh what's her name again? oh Pangina Heels Pangina Heels who's the host of the Thailand one I was like. <gasps> I'm so into you already. So, <laughs> yes, I personally uh, thought she did really well, and I'm really excited. And I'm kind of like, for some reason, even though it's been on for forever, like Thailand Drag Race, I've never watched. And just based on like the little clips they showed real quick when they introduced her, I'm like, I want to watch the show now. <laughs> it's so cool. Me too. Me too. That's exactly yeah. how I felt. Yeah. So I, I'm excited about more RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm still watching Around the World in 80 Days and uh, right. restarted Discovery of Witches. The third season is coming out and Ooh. it's been really good. <laughs> that sounds fun. I've definitely heard you yeah. talk about that show. So I'm like, I feel like I should watch it. <laughs> it's kind of like the grown up. Well, I won't say grown up, but like the more <gasps> the less teenage slash problematic version of Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> interesting okay well cooper is barking his brains out so (laughs) if you guys want to get in contact with us we definitely want to hear what you're thinking of chapters one through nine (laughs) (laughs) yes please get in contact with us (laughs) <laughs> yes you can email us at mannersofmadness at gmail.com you can uh, DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersofmadnesspod or you can leave a one minute voicemail on our website at mannersofmadness.com yes and we are definitely want to hear from you definitely we will we'll share anything you would you know want to share with the, the group <laughs> we'd love to do <laughs> yes. that if possible, although I guess it will be a little bit harder, but we're definitely doing um, some check-ins along the way because we want to talk to Kristen. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and we hope you're following along with Twin Peaks as well because next week we have Twin Peaks season two, episode twelve coming out. Excited to put these two things together because <laughs> they both 
feel kind of like the same love in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to kind of find the parallels like we do with a lot of the stuff we do together. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, I'm excited. Yes. So until next week, I hope you're all doing fantastically. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much for listening. And we will see you guys next week. See you next week. Good night. Anyway. <laughs> Do a whole cut, a puppy cut of the podcast in which you get to hear all of this rigmarole that I'm going through. And crackling. <laughs> and clicking. <laughs> <laughs>